I've seen it, I've experienced it, but me telling people is of no benefit to me whatsoever, because whether they believe us or not, it's not important. I know what I've seen, and that's just important to me. That's the first question. Did you take a photo? And so it immediately puts you on the defensive, because when you say no, people say, well, it didn't happen. You're on the back foot of what's your little story. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 71 of Big Cat Conversations. We're coming to you around mid-March 2022, if you're listening on schedule. In this edition, we are speaking to two different people who have both watched a big cat stalking deer in southwest England, and in one case, the witness actually saw the cat take down a deer. So we'll be speaking to Amanda first, who saw that deer predation take place, and that was in December 2021 in Somerset, so two months ago as we record this. Then we'll be hearing from Will, who had a sighting in one of Gloucestershire's prime locations for big cats, and that was several years back. He's coming up a bit later in the show. So our first guest is Amanda from Somerset. Thanks ever so much for coming on, Amanda. So interesting to hear a person who's actually witnessed a predation event. It's very, very rare, which we'll come on to in a minute. And before this incident occurred, had you given the subject of big cats being wild in Britain's landscape any thought at all? And if you had, what was your attitude towards it? No, so I hadn't heard of them before. I hadn't seen anything on the news or anything, unfortunately. So I was kind of a bit of a surprise when I saw what I did. I honestly didn't have a clue what it was until I spoke to my partner and said what I'd seen, that he told me that he thinks it was a big cat. So I rang him asking, what could it be? I I didn't know. That is rare, actually, for one of our guests to have no sort of background context for it. So an extra shock for you. When it occurred, you were out in the local countryside, in the local fields, weren't you? Were you walking a dog? Yeah, so I just headed out for my morning walk um, by myself. Because I had the dog on the lead on that day, I wasn't making any noise, whereas normally when he's off lead, you, you kind of call a dog, don't you, to keep them near you. So I think that's possibly why I managed to see it, because he was on the lead and it was just by myself, kind of early morning. No one has been in that direction yet, because I normally am one of the first people up and walking. What sort of time was it? I think it was about seven o'clock. Oh, okay. So quite early. It's just fields with stiles in between them. And I was just walking along the footpath. So um, there's nothing growing in the fields. It's just pure grass. Where the cats first came from, which was to my right, there is overgrown shrubbery down there. So I think that's probably where it was hiding initially. And I'd just gone across one of the stiles into the next field. And that field's on a bit of a hill so you kind of get a nice view across all the other fields around you and I just looked to my right and I could see something chasing a deer just one deer by itself I stopped in my in my tracks and watched it chase the deer up it was very quick so it already covered from the field I was in so that's where the shrubbery is it had already gone into the next field and then the next field along from that and that's when I decided to um, get my phone out and catch it because I thought that's running quick and that's going to catch that deer. So I was, thought I'd get my phone out and, and film it. And then as it went between two trees, 
I heard the deer cry, which I thought that's caught the deer. And then that's when I decided to then call my other half and tell him what I saw and send him the pictures and the video. Honestly, it was so quick. So I, you know, I looked up and I said to myself, well, well what's that? And then I was like, oh gosh, that's going to catch that deer. It was within seconds. It was very, very quick. And that's how quick it covered the grass, you know, the land. Do you think it was waiting and watching for the deer to come? Or do you think it just saw it and took advantage of it? Or is that is it difficult to know? But it certainly, when it started moving, the intention was to go for that deer and it went like a tracer bullet. Is that what happened? Yeah, I would say potentially it was waiting because, like I said, down the bottom there is where the shrubbery is. So whether it was hiding there in the deer, because after it caught the deer and I headed back to the roadside, cautious of what I'd seen and that was by myself in the fields I then passed another three deer in in the next field along so whether their deer were all together originally I don't know literally the field then on from that there was another two deer so there's many deer around normally so whether it was waiting for I don't know whether there was a few deer together or whether it was just the one I'm not sure. You think it was there with intent it knew there was going to be a chance to get deer and it saw one and went for them? I would say so, yeah, probably. And it's very interesting. You were, you reckon you were the first dog walker in the morning. It's quite often the witnesses of these cats are the first dog walker in the morning in an area or the last one in the evening. Now, what is actually unusual in what you're saying is that you are describing the cat running for a long time before it made the attack so normally what they would do is they would get within 20 meters or so and make a very explosive spring at the prey be in cover and then ambush it quickly and with an explosive leap and grapple to the prey so it wasn't that basically it was very much a long run towards it was it yeah it was a long it was a long chase they were both running from the start basically when I saw them because I looked down to my right and I saw but the deer was in front of the cat initially so I just saw what I you know I just thought oh what's that running up that field by itself initially because it was dark so I could see the cat but I couldn't see the deer and because it was so far away it looked quite small so I was like oh what's that running up there um thinking okay my dog's on the lead that's fine and then it wasn't until it was side on I realized oh that's a deer so what is that behind it? Because that's big, you know, that wasn't a small dog or anything. And then it wasn't until it was in the next field, kind of parallel to myself, that I thought, gosh, you know, that's covering some ground. And and you know how quick deers run flat out, you know, they were covering, covering the ground quickly. How long do you think the chase was when the deer knew that it was being pursued? For what kind of distance was that? And how quickly did the cat get to the deer and catch it up? When I saw the deer, it was already in chase. So it knew, you know, it knew it was being chased. So that was in a flight mode. It was running as quick as possible. And I guess they were running for all of a few seconds, maybe. It was quick. It was very quick. Were they going flat out? Did you really think this is business? You know, something's going on there that's serious. That Were they absolutely full pelt? Yes, yeah. Okay. Now, I know that in your day job, you actually deal with animals and so would be experienced in knowing how they 
move, especially dogs and cats and things, did you actually think that it might be a dog chasing the deer at any stage? Or did you think this is not dog-like? What was your view on, on the candidates, even though you weren't sure till you talked it through with your other half? Well, initially, I thought it was the dog because I didn't know of cats, really, the big cats. So initially, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, you know, that dog's chasing that deer. And I thought I haven't seen any owners. And normally, because there's only one footpath in that direction, you would have seen someone. Because like I said, I was on top of the hill, so you can see a distance. And it wasn't until it was parallel to myself that I saw the size of it and thought, well, there's not many dogs that are that size and that weight it sounds funny but because I was such a distance but that thick you know a lurcher is quite thin you wouldn't see much of an outline from that distance whereas this was very thick outline so it would have been something quite heavy and strong but then also something agile and quick because it covered the ground so quickly and caught the deer which was at full pelt so it makes sense in hindsight since you know looking at how I've watched videos of how cheetahs run, how cats run, compared them. And the way that it covered the ground and was galloping makes me realise more it was a cat rather than a dog. I mean, they're clearly not cheetahs. We clearly do not have cheetahs in this country. We would see them. You know, they'd be much more blatant because they chase their prey over open ground. And, and what you saw is a very rare event. But leopard-like cats and puma-like cats, which are the main candidates, do have this shorter ambush behaviour. But you're describing something which is more towards cheetah than than leopard, more, you know, that longer chase. I suppose when you first saw it, though, it was manoeuvring into position for an actual chase, do you think? Well, it was running away from me as well. So if you imagine a, an object running away, it looks like a blob, rather than on side, you can see legs and a tail and a head. It was close to me as well. It was in the same field, whereas actually when you look at it side on and further away, you think actually that size of a big cat or, you know, a large animal rather than something small. During this situation, did your dog become aware of it or was it just too far away and it didn't see or smell anything? Yeah, so he didn't notice at all. He wasn't aware of any of the situation because he was on short lead next to me. And it was, like you said, so far by the time, you know, I had got my phone out, that no, he didn't, he didn't notice it and he didn't get a smell of it. Okay, that's good. Because I've often thought one of the reasons people don't manage to get their mobile phones out and film the event is because they're too busy controlling their dog, worrying about their dog. But of course, so you had one hand on the lead, but he was okay and behaving because there was nothing to misbehave about and nothing to worry about. Yeah, so how long did you film it for and what were you thinking as you filmed? Did you realise it was a bit of a, a long shot but you would you know, try and do as best you could? Yeah, so I just got the camera out as quick as I possibly could and press record. It wasn't long. I think there's like two seconds of video or something. By the time I got there, obviously it was running within the tree line by that point. I just caught it just before some of the trees. I just press record and, and hope that the iPhones these days are, are pretty useful. So I was hoping that I'll be able to catch something and see what we've got. And you did get it just as it was closing in, in the final sort of seconds, didn't you, it seems? Yeah, so I, I caught it just as it caught the deer. So you can see it. If you pause the, the video and then play it in slow motion, you can see it 
taking those last few strides, which are, are very long, actually. If you go from the start of the stride to the end of it, it's quite long. And then you can see the cat throw its tail in the air just as it pounces to catch the deer. You don't actually then catch the catching period. But then you do hear, well, I heard a, a cry. I don't know if you can hear it on the video, actually, because it's quite far. But I heard then a cry of when the deer was caught. You know, that was then the point where I paused it and thought, well, that's killed that then. And then I decided then to call the partner to say, what could it be? I think on the website for this edition, we are going to put the screenshots, the two screenshots. There's one where it's closing in on the deer and one where the tail's going up and the deer must be hidden behind one of the trees that's more towards the foreground. They're probably better than the video from what I can gather. So I I think that they do show people, you know, what we're talking about. And we can crop it in a bit because they are in the distance. But uh, once you sort of zoom in, you can see the outline is very plausible to back up what you're you're saying. And interesting about the, the noise of the deer when it was being taken down. How would you describe that? For how long was it? And can you just say a bit more about it? Yeah, it was, it was a short, a very short squeal. I could just define it as that final squeal before it was killed, really, or as it got caught, maybe. You can definitely see in the screenshots of the videos where the tail is thrown in the air and you can you can see the thickness of the tail as well. Again, it's not like a lurch where it's really thin and, you know, sticky. You can see a really thick defined line just as it pounces onto the deer. You can see it and then, yeah, I heard the noise. Okay. So there was absolutely nobody else about that heard or witnessed this and it was still in relatively clear conditions. So you got a view of it and it was light enough to film. Yeah, I was lucky with the with the weather. It was clear and it was daylight. Unfortunately, I was walking by myself that morning, so no one was there. And, and because it was in the winter, a lot of people don't walk across the footpaths here because it's so wet. So I'm often by myself across those fields. So yeah, no, unfortunately, no one was there. Fortunately or unfortunately, maybe if they were there, we wouldn't have seen it. So Yes, exactly. Now, in terms of the form and movement of the cat, what do you really remember strongly about that? I think the speed it was running and then its tail, its thick tail in the air afterwards. That's my two things that say it's not a dog. You can watch videos of dogs chasing things, of cheetahs chasing things, of cats chasing things to see what it looks more like. It's a big, thick, long tail and the speed of which it's running. And the fact it caught it, we know it did because we've got the carcass. We've seen the carcass, so we know it caught, caught the deer. We'll come on to that in a moment. And well done for going back and finding the carcass. And as you said earlier, it was a big powerful animal but very athletic and fast so it seemed perfectly wild and natural it didn't seem there's nothing like it was sort of learning the ropes and not efficient it it seemed to be very professional and efficient in what it was doing yeah i'd say you know it wasn't like it was a rabbit and headlight job it was it was all straight across the fields and straight across the next field i think you know the deer was just running as fast as it could therefore so did the cat behind it. It's probably done it before, I imagine. Actually seeing it like that and knowing the deer had met its end, emotionally, how was that for you? 
I think I was just shocked in initially because I think the fact that it had caught the deer and I heard it cry um, and it was killed it. I thought, you know, what, what could that be? And then it wasn't until after I spoke to my partner and he said, oh, it, it sounds like a big cat. And I said in the pictures and he goes, I think it is. That's when I kind of was like, well, I'm going to get out in the fields then. Obviously, in hindsight, I'm thinking, well, it's not going to come after me because it's now got its prey and it's probably busy eating that and, you know, preparing that for its dinner. But yeah, I think it was more afterwards, after the phone call, shock and disbelief that it's something that we had seen so close to home. After that, did you speak to neighbours and friends and family or were you careful who you told because it was a bit of an awkward, you know, sensitive situation? What were the conversations and who did you have them with? Um, I think we told friends and family, so close friends and family and friends of the area as well. When you tell people initially, they think that, I don't know, you you know, you tell them and then you almost show the video and, and then they agree with you and they're like, oh, yes. So I think alongside the video and the pictures and, and you point out the tail, they kind of agree that it's not a normal animal. It's not a dog or something. I believe that a vet in the area had also previously seen a black cat. So I didn't know that either beforehand. So when they said, oh, actually, someone else has seen one in the area before, first of all, it makes you feel like, okay, I'm not going crazy. And almost more people then go, you probably did see one because someone else has seen one in the village. So no one has said, you know, that we are crazy or it didn't happen or anything like that. Most people, once they've seen the pictures in the video, have pro- have agreed that it probably is and then like you said you then google it and you get more sightings of the black cat so kind of backs up the story then doesn't it i mean it's a dog walking area are you worried about dog safety for example yeah we have spoken to a couple of the dog walkers that i know walk out that way in conversation we've mentioned it to them but it was already known in the area obviously i wasn't aware of it but because that other person had cited so I think perhaps maybe people are already cautious but I I don't know if it would chase a dog I can't imagine because your dogs tend to be quite close to you and people are noisy I don't know if it would there's um also potential sightings of wild boar in the area so people are already cautious anyway of keeping their eye out in this area so um adding the wild cat to the list of be carefuls (laughs) We seem to be lucky that they seem to be leaving the dogs alone largely because I think there's so many deer and natural prey about that dogs aren't mm-hmm. on the list. But um, I don't think it's something that you completely close your mind to. How has it made you personally and your partner feel about the local countryside emotionally? Do you find it more exciting or are you a bit more on edge or just a bit more alert? Has it influenced you and your outlook on the local countryside? I'm still walking the same route. Initially, I didn't walk over that way. Whether that's a coincidence in time or choice, I, I don't know. But I, you know, I walked that same route today. So if anything, I'm definitely looking out more to see if I can see it again. I definitely carry my phone out of my pocket in case I do see it again. So I think it's definitely made me more aware that things are around. And I'm looking up in trees just in case they're up there because I think we spoke to someone when we were looking for the carcass. Um, it was mentioned, you know, they, that they can hide in trees. So, yeah, it's definitely made us more looking out. And I think when we walk in the evenings as well, in dusk, we, we're looking out in the fields with our torches to see if we can spot anything. I think it's made us more inquisitive, actually, to, to catch it again. Okay. 
if you heard that somebody was going to try and do away with it somehow, would that concern you? I think it depends on why they were getting rid of it. You know, if it was had come down to it, it is a, a risk to walkers and, and dogs. Obviously, safety is important. And I walk along there by myself. And if it had been found out that it wasn't safe, um, you know, we've got children as well in the village. So I think, yeah, it depends on what the reason why is. If, it, if it's just because someone can, then, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it, to be honest. But, yeah, I'd, I'd have to understand more first that's the good thing about your sighting is you saw what you think is just an experienced bit of behavior it's done it before and it accomplished its ends and that was the wild predator with the wild prey wasn't it and yes at the time when people weren't around and people don't see it much hardly at all anyway in the local area yeah so on to the deer carcass so what was your, your thoughts about the deer carcass did you think we must go back and try and find if there's a dead deer around in the following days. Yes. So it was a couple of days later because obviously we we work. So we wanted daylight. And being December, there was no normal daylight hours. So we had to wait until a weekend. And we did go into the same field and we looked where I saw it catch the deer. And we looked for, for markings on the grass and, you know, any signs of grass distress or anything. And we couldn't see anything. So we assumed it to taken the deer somewhere else or even the fact, you know, there was a fact or maybe I didn't see it catch the deer. You know, I know I, I heard something, but maybe it didn't injure it. We looked for blood, we looked for bones, we looked for everything. And so we gave up and then it wasn't until someone mentioned on their big cat Facebook page about looking in trees and things like that. So for a few days after that, I looked and, you know, I was looking in trees and, and, and hedgerows and you know, a bit more other areas and still didn't come across it. So it was a couple of days later after that, again, that we went for a longer walk and actually went further down along that field towards a corner, actually. And that's when we noticed lots of different piles of hair. And I said to my partner, oh, this, this is it, this is where it, it is. And there was five or six patches of flattened grass with all its hair everywhere. So we noticed that first and then I looked to the right and then I could see the carcass and I, you know, I said, oh, here it is. We found it. It was weird because we weren't actually looking for it that day. We were actually going out for a hike. So, yeah, we were lucky to come across it. How far away was that from where you think, where you heard the squeal, where you heard it squeal? What was the distance? I'd say approximately 250 yards. It dragged it a long, a long way. There was flattened grass near the area, but I couldn't see a path from where it killed it to where we found the carcass. There was no path, but it, we had had rain and wind and everything. In grappling it down and actually dispatching it, there may have been a bit of distance further for that to have happened. So it might have covered part of the distance between where you heard the squeal and where the carcass was laid out. Where it was laid out was a bit tucked away, wasn't it, into towards the corner? It wasn't too far into the open. It had dragged it round to the corner. Um, but again, this was right on a footpath, so it, 10 steps away from the stile. So had any dog walkers gone that area, they would have seen the carcass. And this was probably five days after I'd initially seen, you know, the video of, of it killing it. And then it had actually shedded the skin back to the back legs as well some of it all in one 
professionally done. You know, not like it had been mauled by an animal, it had been skinned by an animal. Thank you very much for providing photos of the carcass and we'll put some of those on the website as well so people can see. And I regard that as a, a classic carcass situation. And as you say, the peeling of the skin, which is a good sign, it's a big tick in the box. And where you're talking about these sort of dollops of hair, what I think that is, is what we would call plucking so they, with their incisor teeth between the canines, they pick out strands of hair before they shear in with the carnassials and, and they sort of just deposit those little strands in little clusters. So do you think that's what that could have been that you're referring to? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, so that's plucking, the plucking. There normally isn't too much of that. That's normally fairly neatly done in little clusters. So you're not seeing lots of torn, shredded, scattered hair. And that was how it was, wasn't it? Yeah, so there's probably five different clusters of hair. And when you looked at those, they're, you know, they're clumps of hair. It's not random strands, if that makes sense. So it's almost like something has grabbed a clump of hair and pulled it out and spat it to the side. And yeah, no, it sounds like that. When you discovered the carcass, we were talking about coming on the podcast and I mentioned, oh, if you get a chance to look for tooth marks on the bones, please do so. So your partner was primed to do that. Luckily, there was a bit on on the mandible, and that's been saved for the study at the Royal Agricultural University. So it's lovely that a bit can be recovered for examination, you know, at a university in Britain that's doing follow-up work on all of this. So that was uh, terrific that, you know, we can make some use of it in that way. When you found it, did it help sort of reinforce it and prove the point to you? Yeah, I think, well, firstly, it was a confirmation, okay, it it did kill it, it did catch it. And then I think just the way, like, it hadn't been mauled at by, as would, you imagine, like, you know, wild dogs, they just chew everything up and go crazy. I think the fact that it had been what looked like prepared in its piles and then taken to the side as well. So the piles were kind of, if you imagine the corner, were scattered in amongst that square corner. But then where it ate the deer, it was like next to a ditch and under a hedge. So it's almost hidden slightly. As if it's going to stay there for some time, it's going to want to be protected and, and hidden. Everything was eaten bar the brain of the of the animal, of the deer. So, And it was cleanly eaten bar like the um, bit of skin that was left over the back legs, which still had, you know, they were probably skinned up to their knees and then the hair was still on the bottom of the legs. But other than that, yeah, there was not a lot of meat or anything left over. Yeah, and it was a pretty large adult deer, wasn't it? I think it's a roe deer. It wasn't a young sort of scrawny yearling, was it? It was a, a full-size adult deer. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, I would say it was a full-size adult deer. Do you think if you'd come across it on your hike and you hadn't seen the the chase and <laughs> seen the big cat previously, you would have been suspicious anyway and thought, gosh, you know, this this is a bit striking and a bit different. Do you think you'd have been thinking it was potentially, you know, some big predator at large anyway, even if you hadn't seen the actual event? I think I would have, because I saw the fair as well, I would have said to my partner, you know, well, what is this? And look, all this fair everywhere. And he probably would have said, oh, listed the big animals it could be. I don't know whether it crossed my mind because I didn't know about them in the area. I think I would have been shocked to have seen it because you never see really full deer. And if you do, it's normally because they've died and they're, you know, wasting away on the side until they 
go. But I think the fact that it had been completely eaten, I would have definitely questioned what would have eaten that. Whether the wild boar would have crossed my mind first, because that's all I know that are in the area. But then I can't imagine a wild boar would catch catch a deer and eat it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're omnivores. They're not sort of strict carnivores, although they will pick at uh, meat. It had been gorged, you know, it had been clinically gorged out, hadn't it? Every bit of it has gone, yeah. I think the fact that it was five days later, it may well have had two sittings at it. I don't think it would have been able to gorge out that deer fully in one go. Classic example of where had uh, you got there early enough and been able to strap a trail camera to the stem of a tree or something or a fence post to watch it, it may well have come back. They don't always come back for a second go because they often don't need to if um, prey is easily available and they're aware that it could be scavenged by foxes and things and messed up a, a bit. I think maybe some dogs, some passing dogs might have had a pick at it that might have contaminated a little bit, but it doesn't look like it's been scattered. I mean, when foxes get to things, they can tend to sort of mess the bones about and, the, and bones get moved around. So I think it was still reasonably fresh and maybe the cat had had two meals out of it. It was right next to the footpath. So, you know, like I said, it was possible that other dog walkers would have walked past there and seen it. It was still within its deer shape on the floor so there wasn't anything missing or scattered anywhere it was very tidy and neat so um yeah like you said possibly two two sittings to eat it all okay i mean how has this made you feel about the bigger picture what's your take on the subject albeit that you're inexperienced on the subject but what do you make of it that these big cats seem to be around and predating deer in our countryside yeah it was it wasn't expected I do feel quite lucky that I've seen it. I know my partner is jealous and wishes that he'd been with me. So, I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I saw it and I got a video of it. I think it's interesting to know that they're here. And I think the fact that it's still quite a rare thing means that maybe they're not causing any problems. So we, we've thought about putting a camera up maybe to see if we can catch something in the same areas. So it'd be nice. I think I'm. I think I'm more keen now, actually, just to see if we can re-see it and recapture it more than anything. I would say, had you in conversation mentioned it to me before, I wouldn't have been too bothered about it. But the fact that I've personally have seen the video, you know, seen it and taken the video and looked at it closely and looked at the carcass, I'm more interested now to see. Yeah, if we could maybe get a second sighting. Yeah, and film it with the trail camera. Of course, the trail camera's got the potential to film it up close, which is good. And best to obviously be collaborating with a landowner if you don't own the land yourself. And then you've got footpaths to worry about and those kinds of sensitivities have got to be respected. And Of course. So you've got all of that to manoeuvre around. Does it surprise you that I only know of one other person in all these years we've had big cat sightings and known about the big cats and, and had witness reports We've had plenty of people that have seen them close to deer. The witness has disturbed deer and then seen a big cat and thought, oh gosh, you know, I was probably disturbing what the big cat was eyeing up. And we've had people see them occasionally go for deer, but never catch one. In fact, there's one case I'm aware of when a lorry driver was sitting in his cab on a lay-by looking over fields and you know having a sandwich and, and just uh, watching a deer in the long grass and so, suddenly it got taken out by a panther you know leaping at mm. it and then he just saw nothing in the long grass and thought well there's a deer being done to death and eaten there the long grass is covering it 
That was the only one I'm aware of. That was in Warwickshire many years ago. Does it surprise you that you know you're the only one who've actually seen the event actually take place? I think it's more just luck in terms of the time I was out there, the location I was. You know, there's not any animals kept out that way. It's just fields. So had I gone on my other usual walks, there's a lot of farmland and animals kept out there. So I think it's more just luck of the area. Had I had the dog off lead on that day and been calling him, then potentially I would have scared off and not seen it. So I think it's just luck, really, that I managed to see it, really, yeah. Well, well done. And it's great that you were prepared to share it with us and you got some photos. I think the photos, the two uh, screenshots, I think are very good. Yes, they're blobs in the distance, but given what you've said and given the shapes of those blobs and the fact that on the second one you can see the tail and they are very compelling, I think, and I would encourage listeners to go on the website for episode 71 on Big Cat Conversations website and have a look at them. We'll probably put them as you took them, but we'll put cropped in versions as well, sort of zoomed in. I think probably zoom in anyway. I know your partner took many different angles of the um, carcass and we'll put two or three of those up, the best ones, including the bit of toothpit. And um, I know that the Royal Agriculture University's student who's working on toothpit is on the case this term especially. So you'll get some feedback on that, I suspect, you know, end end of the term in uh, Easter holidays and whatever. Fantastic. Finally, anything else you want to say that you don't think we've covered No, I think in the picture you can see, you know, the size of the road deer and then the size of the cat behind it. So, yeah, I think putting those those pictures up will help show the size and and the tail. And I think that's the distinctive parts for me. But no, that's it, really. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much. Please thank your other half for the photos of the carcass. I think they're very good photos. Sometimes people send in photos of the carcass and uh, it's easy to nitpick, but, you know, they're not at good angles and they're not all the different sort of angles you want. But, you know, we've got plenty to choose from and they're all very helpful. So, Of course, no, it will do, yeah. And we're looking forward to getting the results back as well from the jaw. Yeah, I think what they will say is that the key thing on these the toothpit samples is you need the triangle that they come from the pointy cusps of the back carnassial teeth and sometimes they clamp on you know they shear through carcass and especially the flesh but they sometimes clamp on a bone and you need all three of the cusps for the forensic process to confirm it's from a big cat and so the process isn't allowed to say yes but the witness knows this is a big cat because they saw it happening yes. you know that they've just got to be uh, distanced from that and say well i think what they'll probably conclude unless the microscope work finds a third pockmark sort of toothpit in that bone they'll just say this is a two marked bone potentially big cat but the process cannot prove it but it's still ever so useful Obviously, that sample will be isolated with a sort of note to say from a sample where the witness actually observed the carcass being predated. So it, it will be a special sample in the set, no doubt, anyway. Perfect. Sounds great. Great. Thank you ever so much, Amanda, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. I'm sure listeners appreciate hearing from you and appreciate the photos on the website. Amazing. Thanks for having us.
Our next guest is Will, and he has also observed a large cat stalking deer, and this occurred at one of Gloucestershire's hotspots north of Stroud in 2002. Will now lives in France, so he's on the line from there now. So he keeps up our recently established French links, albeit this is a Gloucestershire report. Will, thanks for coming on the show. Hi there, Rick. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, Will. Thank you. And uh, tell us whereabouts in France you're based now. I am in Brittany, about 30 kilometres south of Rennes. Okay. Was this a bolt from the blue for you, or did you know about Big Cat sightings in 2002 when this happened? I'd seen various programmes on TV over the over the past years prior to the sighting and heard stories of, you know, the Beast of Bodmin and, and things like that. I think the closest sighting I'd ever heard of to me when I was living in Stroud would have been the Forest of Dean, when there was a fair few sightings around that area, but nothing in Stroud at all, nothing. So, yeah, it was a real surprise. It's something that I'd always sort of puzzled about, you know, I wonder where it came from and how could this animal suddenly appear? Had it escaped from a zoo or that was as far as it went for me. You know, it was it was intriguing, you know, and and, uh, a mystery and very thought provoking. I remember seeing a photo of I think it was the Beast of Bodmin claim. It's quite a well-known photo and it's a cat, a silhouette of a cat sat up on a very small mountain top. And someone had taken the photo from down below. And I mean, it's you couldn't make out exactly what it was. It was obviously a cat of some sort. But it was I remember seeing it and thinking, you know, that could be fake. But oh, I mean, would it? You know, is it? Maybe it's not. Yeah. OK. But you didn't think that was the same one that was in the Forest of Dean, presumably? No, not at all. Not at all. Great. OK. So back to 2002, just north of yep. Stroud. And tell us all about what happened. I think I was 19, 20. I was attending Stroud College and had been for the past two years traveling the same route from my house in um, Sheepscombe. I'd been to college that day and I was coming home in the summer's afternoon. It was a nice sunny afternoon and I was just cruising along and in the distance, the hill opens up and you can see the crest of the, the one side of the hill. And I noticed there was a huge group of deer. There is deer in, in Stroud. You never see that many of them. Where I lived in Sheepscombe, I, I saw, saw the odd maniac in the garden that would be bolting through the garden or, you know, or, or one in the distance in a field. But never, I'm sure there must have been like 10 or 15 of these deer all grazing up in this, this field. I was flabbergasted to see that many deer to start off with. So, I, I, you know, I was really taking a good look at them. And um, as I was coming to the field that they were in, I really slowed down. So I, I didn't scare them off and just wanted to take in the natural beauty of the wildlife and almost had come to a, a complete stop. And it was only as I was approaching the end of the field, now looking up the hill towards these deer, that I saw something in the next field directly along on that same side as the deer move in my peripheral vision. I turned my head to look at them, or look at it. I focused on the largest object in the middle and on what I thought had moved. My brain just could not fathom what I was looking at. It was an object of furry description, 
with eyes looking straight at me with round ears and chocolate brown. And I was just like, what is that? You know, in this long sun-kissed grass, I'm more than used to seeing a fox or a badger or a rabbit. None of those said, that is a badger. It was no more than 15 metres away from me. And I now stopped the vehicle completely. I was just looking at it. And as I'm looking at it, and the thing is looking directly at me, I'm seeing about four foot from this object, a big fluffy tail, like a baseball bat, fluffy, thick tail, flick up out of the grass. And then it all just dropped into place. And what I was looking at was a cat, a large cat, looking over its shoulder directly at me in the long grass, creeping through as cats do on their prey, sitting on its front legs. And this is why I couldn't work out what I was seeing. The torso was all out of shape where it had turned its head to look at me and the feet were tucked in underneath itself. I just realized that this cat was <laughs> creeping up on these, un, you know, these deer, which were just casually eating grass, completely unbeknown to them that um, a predator was approaching. I was just flabbergasted and I just took it all in as much as I could. I was just looking at it. It, it was continually just staring at me as well. And then I thought, I've got to get some sort of witness to this flash the next car that comes and uh, sure enough a, a car approached literally as i had that idea in my mind the fact that i had stopped on this single lane road on the verge flashing my lights it was it's not a normal to pass each other on these roads car stopping and flashing to say come on you can come i'm stopped this car approached at speed and passed me at speed i was waving frantically and flashing my lights you know and he didn't see any of that he just saw me stopped and giving way to him and uh, at this point he passed I look back at the creature and it was now up on all fours probably 25 meters away from me now at full pelt and just jumped straight over this barbed wire fence which was easily a meter tall into the, the thick bush from the forest that was the last I saw of it very good thank you very much I didn't realize how close it was to you do you think, when it looked at you, do you think it was cursing you? Yeah, it was, yeah. Because you you were sort of uh, ruining its ambush tactics. Yeah, I'm sure of it. You know, it looked angry. <laughs> it was looking at me to sort of say, ah, you know, I'm this close. And the deer, do you think, had no idea whatsoever that there was a predator? How far away was it from the deer, do you think? I'd say it was probably a good 50 metres, maybe 60 meters away from the deer from the first deer and then there was a good 15 deer all bunched up together probably over about a 15 meter radius they were dotted out but yeah i was just like wow incredible sighting and incredible you got such a good view of it its vantage on them do you think it was pretty stationary when you came along or do you think it was creeping, edging forward to sort of manoeuvre into position or do you think it was just assessing the scene? I think it was completely stationary and it was the movement that I saw was its head turned to look at me as I approached. So it was casually assessing the scene before it thought about how to manoeuvre, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, it was in the, the position of you would see a normal house cat getting ready to spring into pounce mode and it hadn't got to that spring mode yet you know it hadn't got to the pounce 
it was definitely, definitely eyeing them up. The division between the fields, it's not 100% a division. There was gaps. After the event happened, I, the next day I travelled back and stopped and had a good look at where it must have actually been looking at. And you can see from the other side that there was gaps. And that's exactly what it was doing. It was looking through these gaps in the tree line, the hedgerow, to um, go for the bolt. Yes, okay. And it had enough cover because there was medium-length grass, presumably. Yeah, yeah. The grass must have been a good 16 inches, 18 inches long. Enough to cover it a bit. Yeah. And so you said about the colour, that's interesting colour. Well, tell us about the description. First thing that sprang to my mind when I looked at it, when I couldn't work out what I was looking at, was that it looked like somebody had left a teddy bear in the middle of the field but you couldn't see the arms. You could just see this roundish oval head, you know, wide cheeks, big, lovely, fluffy, round ears with very wide brow and beady black eyes staring straight at me. The sun was right on it. I could see the the fur and it was a chocolate brown. And this was what I found so intriguing after was when I did my research, you know, that every single one is always a black panther. Or, a, a, you know, a black cat. It's always jet black. And even the photos, you see, they are jet black. But this was definitely 100% a chocolate brown. The other thing that made me think as well is that when I looked at it, when it was running off, it didn't have the physique, the muscular structure of a puma or a panther. I think it's more of like a cheetah. And that would explain the sort of very, because they have a very thick, long tail, don't they? But it was, maybe it was a hybrid, you know, I'm, I'm, I could never say what it was exactly, but it was, it was chocolate brown and it was a big cat. Okay. You haven't looked at um, black leopards. Certainly when black leopards get older, they can go more orangey brown. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And even black domestic cats same you know i i had one and she really went ginger chocolatey brown in her sort of last two or three years right okay that's interesting. he was lit up by the sun maybe it was just as you said you know the the black is actually a very very dark brown and on that one day the light shining on it so much made it look browner than it actually was in normal light yeah i don't want to force a definitive identity but you are right i mean in terms of its wildness and fitness and health, did it struck you as truly wild and knowing what it was about? Oh, 100%. I mean, it looked young. When I say it wasn't this muscular panther, it looked almost like when animals haven't quite hit... Filled out. Prime physique. Yeah, they hadn't filled out exactly. That's what it looked like to me. It looked like a young cat which hadn't quite got to that adulthood point where it was at its full potential of muscular physique but it was it was big yeah compared to a labrador dog say what what sort of scale was it i would say it was about the same size as a wolfhound you know it was it was a tall animal it just jumped over that fence at the back of the field because i went up to the end of the field and looked at what it jumped over and it was easily 1.2 1.5 meters tall on a, a degree as well. I'm going to say 
font then in French. <laughs> but yeah, it's you know it's it's on a on a you know an incline. It wasn't just a, a leap over a fence. It was jumping up and over 1.5 meters. You know, it was it was a fair old um, fair old jump, and just completely gone into the into the woods and never to be seen again. I would say it was at least 1.5 meters long from head to rear end and then plus the tail. It was getting on for a good two meters in length. Once it broke cover like that and rushed away, did the deer, were the deer aware of this or did it do that sort of in a different direction to not disturb them? I never looked back at the deer. I never looked back at them. I was just transfixed on watching this animal run off. (laughs) You know, and, and then annoyed because the car hadn't seen it at all, and and uh, I couldn't wait to get home to tell everyone what I'd seen. You know, as it was happening, what were your emotions? I mean, presumably to utter shock and surprise, but beyond that, yeah, it was just like I I felt completely blessed to be honest. You know, I was just like, oh my god, there's a giant cat in Stroud. I'd seen, you know, I'd seen these stories of the Beast of Bodmin and. It never even crossed my mind to think that there could be one in somewhere so close to my own home and to be part of the witness of it, you know, because it's it is like winning the lottery almost, you know, the odds of seeing that. I mean, I expect probably now they, they've probably gone up quite a bit, the, the odds, but there seems to be a lot more people citing them. That's for sure. Or admitting their sighting. It's about whether people declare their sighting, isn't it? But yeah, say yeah, it was um, yeah. a time when you had a mobile phone. I'm guessing you didn't have a mobile phone and mobile phone camera. I did. It was just such a shock and awe. It didn't even cross my mind to get it out. You know, it was it was before the days of so much social media and immediately going for your phone. Nowadays, I think I probably would. But it was at that time when mobiles were in your pocket but it wasn't the first port of call for taking a photo i've never been one for selfies so it's not something that immediately springs to mind would you have had time had you thought about it would you have had time i mean if i'd have thought about it and someone said you know oh you've got a camera in your pocket take a photo then i, I would have you know without a doubt but it just didn't even spring to my mind it was such the shock of my mind working out what i'm looking at and then the instant of the first thing that sprang to my mind after what I was actually realizing I was seeing was I've got to get somebody to see this as well. That was the first thing. And the, the easiest thing for me was I'm on a road. Someone's going to be passing me. I will flag them down and not move, you know, and, and hopefully this creature will stay still. And of course, the car approaching scared it off because he was going at a feral race. How frustrating. Yeah. So getting back to base and telling other people, what happened then? Because you heard of other sightings eventually, didn't you? Yeah, I got home and I told my mum, and because uh, I was living at home with parents as well, told my mum and dad. My dad thought I was mad and my mum believed everything and uh, was completely amazed by the fact that I'd seen such a thing. My dad grew up in Africa, though, so to him, it was sort of like, huh, I used to see lions every day. <laughs> Yeah, okay. You spoke to a local farmer, you told me. Uh, Can we hear about that? Yeah, there's a a farm probably about half a mile up the road, at literally the end of the forest where it goes into private land, where it's, it's, I mean, the forest is sort of open to the public, I suppose. There's a right of way in there. There's a footpath. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I pass it and often give way to him in his tractor mood wave or whatever. And, and I recognized his face as the chap in the tractor I'd see regularly outside the farm. So I stopped and I said, have you seen anything interesting in the field down there? And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, you know, the big cat. And he's like, yes, I have seen it. And if I see it again, I will shoot it. And I was just like, oh, oh no. I didn't say don't do that, but I was just like, oh, really? That's not great. What was his body language? He definitely meant that, did he? Yeah, yeah. He was, you know, he had someone next to him at the time. And I, I wonder if he'd said it in sort of jest to sort of show off a bit. I didn't bother ever speaking to him again because of that, because I, I just thought, you know, that's not cool. Let things be. From my knowledge of that area, it's not normally sheep around there. What was his farming business, do you know? Mostly arable, mostly arable. I think there's a few cows on his land. It's not going to do any harm to anything he's got, I pres- I would have thought. No, no. Having said that, this podcast is not about forcing views on people, you know, each to their own. And yeah, he may feel he's in the front line of living with a predator and it's different for him than it is for us who are a bit distanced from it. Certainly, podcast listeners are used to me hearing this, and no doubt some of them have the same experiences, that many people from the agricultural and sectors and, and game and similar sectors that you think would take a fairly intolerant stance on these cats actually do not. They see them as fascinating and interesting, and I think largely because yeah. they are pretty much behaving themselves and not stepping out of line or not causing too much hassle. That's really good people are very reasonable actually yeah and think you know well it's um the jury's out if it doesn't cross the line it's uh, live and let live sort of thing so exactly yeah what about other reports then and other people you spoke to what other kinds of uh, feedback in the grapevine did you hear the first thing i did was i got on the internet and researched as much as possible about possible sightings and found Frank Humbridge details. I rang him instantly and uh, we had a lovely chat about the subject and, and reported the sighting and, and he was um, a font of knowledge on the subject. He was aware of various sightings in the Stroud area. I told my friends at college and I told my tutor who lived in the area and he claimed he'd seen it as well walking through the field. He was doing some work in his tractor or something and he could see it from a distance far away. He'd lived in the area all his life, so he was a very well-known and knowledgeable chap of, of the area, and he completely agreed. No, they are here, and um, or it is here, and uh, I have seen it. Never went into detail with him, though. You know, he was meant to be teaching me carpentry. <laughs> Lift the taboo. It can help, can't it? Yeah, so, yeah. Since you came onto Facebook recently in Britain and, and mentioned the sighting, allowed me and uh, another guy in Stroud, Chris, who's a very good local investigator, to get in touch with you and tell you about others. Yes. Right close to yours, probably several years later. And I'm actually going to read one out. I've looked one out, uh, which is the one I followed up. Um, I know Frank's had a couple more. I remember one time Frank actually phoned me straight after getting the report from the guy. And that was one where the guy saw it stalking deer along that road as well. Yeah. I know Chris, who you've been in touch with, followed one up. Yeah. Uh, So this one was in, I'm going to read it out because this email came to me indirectly. So unfortunately, I was never able to get back in touch 
with this lady, but I did follow it up as soon as I could the weekend after getting the report, and I went to the location, and it's entirely, as she said, the road layout and the fields and the field gate, and and I think it's very close to yours. It's the same field or the next field from yours, and this was in 2013, so what, 11 years later, and this was in August, and it was 5.45 in the morning, so this happens quite regularly. This is the first dog walker of the morning, perhaps, and first dog walker, last dog walker of the day. Those kinds of people tend to get sightings because they're out the right kinds of time. So uh, here we go. I'll read it out. Hello, my name is Maria, and I live in Stroud. I came into contact with what I'm certain was a panther this morning on a country road. I was walking with my two dogs a Rottweiler and a Bulldog, along this road, and they both dropped to the ground and froze. Approximately 10 metres in front of us, coming from the woods next to the lane, was a black panther. It was a glossy black in colour and was very large, about six to seven feet long, including the tail, which was like a long, thick baseball bat with a slight curve at the tip. Its head was huge and wide and had very curved stroke rounded ears and not the pointed type you see on house cats. It stopped and looked at us for a matter of a second or two, then turned and ran across an open field and into some more woodland to the right. I wasn't scared or fearful at seeing this animal at all. I'd heard tales of people seeing these animals in the area and always thought them as a bit crazy. I didn't report it to the police as I didn't think they would believe me and I don't want to cause anyone to become scared. I hope this is the right thing to do. Many thanks, Maria. Maria, if you happen to be listening, and I doubt you are, it'd be great to speak to you. I think that ticked a lot of boxes, didn't it? Very plausible. Yeah. That the dog's reaction, those two types of dogs dropping to the ground. Yeah, that's right. I think I was telling you on emails, Will, that when I followed that one up that location right on the corner of the side road hitting the main lane i know exactly the road because it is literally the only one road which joins at a right angle to the road which i was traveling along and there's a property there at the time there was a property there with about two acres of grounds including a nice spinny of woodland and broken down Cotswold stone walls where animals were just running through there was mammal trails just going into the wood from that property and that property I'd noticed had been for sale for over a year it was a right pile of a place any animal in there would have been completely undisturbed so it may have been yeah. coming straight out of there onto that side road and then onto that lane at that time of day there would have been very little traffic on that lane. It is a back lane. It gets busy at some times of the day, but for long parts of the time, it would be perfect for a a big cat to walk along and not be disturbed at night at all. Quite easily, yeah. Yeah, so that could have been a relative of of yours or yours when it was later stage of life. If their age is up to sort of 15 years, which is about right for the ones living in the wild. Must be again reassuring that you've heard of several more now that you've got back in touch with the Gloucestershire uh, contingent. It's really nice, and the first couple of people you tell, and they're like, "Yeah, all right, what, what's next? You're going to see a UFO," and it just makes you feel, ah, oh, you know, what's the point in even telling people if that's the reaction? You sort of forget about it a bit, but it's always in the back of your mind. You just feel a bit of a book telling people it, and you can almost see you know their eyes roll like yeah okay whatever 
but um no it's 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 really nice it's really nice to hear that other people have cited it they continue to cite it yeah it just shows you it was worth you sending that message to facebook wasn't it what prompted you to send it onto facebook all those years later recently i'd seen on, on facebook various posts of gloucestershire news gloucestershire live gloucestershire live yeah and uh i'd read through the comments because what gets my back up when they say oh there's never ever such you know it never exists it's a load of rubbish and and i always love to chime in and say actually hang on a minute i've seen one and i know what i saw it was not a house cat 100 percent. and i you know go on the little rant <laughs> I don't know. It's it's part of me which I I feel I'm compelled to tell when I hear people say, you know, oh rubbish, and giving Frank Tunbridge a lot of stick. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we are. I mean, Frank knows that's an occupational hazard that you're going to get <laughs> grenades thrown at you. But uh, I mean, one of the reasons that he gets the reports back into the the papers, if the witness, if the informant wants that to happen, is because reports build on reports. You know one gets reported and other people get in touch and you hear about more so not all of them go into the newspaper and get relayed to everybody just a selection of them but it just helps to keep the momentum going and of course we wouldn't have learned about yours for this podcast if that hadn't been you know frank doing his stuff in gloucestershire live and of course one of the reactions is oh these people are gullible fools you know they'll believe any old thing any old rubbish and that's what you have to put up with. and uh, But also, yeah. uh, we do get a lot of um, positive feedback. Frank, I know, meet lots of people who say, I'm, I love looking forward to the pieces in the local newspaper. Always make sure I read those reports of the local big cat sightings. So lots of people, you yeah. know, uh, enjoy them and um, f- like to be informed of it. So you have to put up with the, uh, the spoilers. No, it's sort of nature of the beast, I suppose, if you pardon the pun. Yeah. And so you're in France now, but you're not hearing about uh, many reports in France. But we've, you know, covered a couple of reports on the podcast. But uh, I mean, it's the difficulty of knowing in a situation like France, whether it is the odd one that's been let loose, or there's been a tiny amount of breeding, but not a viable population, which you know may be the case. But it doesn't seem to be like in Britain, does it? I think it's so vast here. It is literally so vast and the amount of deer they could quite happily live completely unnoticed the only thing i will say is there's a huge amount of hunters here even more so than britain yeah and it's a it's a regular weekly occurrence here the chasse it's um you hear the horn going and their dogs and they go out in droves it's, i think it's a wednesday and a sunday they do it you often hear them my partner read a report that just recently uh, Walker was shot dead by these shafts by accident. Um, and then we looked it up and there, since 2000, 438 people have been shot dead by accident, unfortunately. Yes, I noticed that recent report in the, in the British media that got reported, yeah. Awful. Yes, just out on a hike, on a weekend uh, walk. The actual person who fired the gun was very young. Really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, a dreadful business, yeah. Also, do you think that in France, like in Britain, if anybody saw a big cat, they'd probably keep quiet because they'd fear ridicule? It would seem a bit weird, and so a lot of people wouldn't let on, perhaps? Yeah, I probably think they would. I probably think they would. What, keep quiet? They're quite withdrawn. You know, I'm not tiring them all, but 
I work with the French every day and have very good friendships with them. And I've told them my story. They sort of raised an eyebrow <laughs> themselves. So, you know, I don't think they would, to be fair. And, you know, Spain and Italy as well had those reports. And, of course, it's quite conceivable that, that, that people have got exotic pets, just like they have um, in Britain. And amongst those exotic yeah. pets, there would be, you know, black leopards and similar types of cats and American mountain lions. So, no, definitely. And just the final question we always say to people is, what's your emotional attitude, really, to the possibility of big cats naturalising in Britain? What, what's your view on that? That's something that I'd love to see. You know, there's so much deer that's in considering, you know, that's what they're going to mainly go for. It would be a great thing to add to the, the British wildlife. And anything else you'd like to say before we close off? But it's all been ever so helpful. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Well, keep in touch, you know, for on the France or British perspective. No, I will. Take care. All the best. Thank you. All the best to you too. Okay, we've several things to cover in our outro, starting with a couple of follow-up points from our guests. First of all, when you see the screenshot photos of the deer chase on the website, the distance away is thought to be around 250 metres. Amanda and her partner paced it out and that's their estimate. So a fair old distance and that's why both the original screenshot and the cropped in and zoomed versions of those photos are useful. Judge for yourselves anyway. Second, in terms of the chocolate brown colour of Will's reported cat, after the recording I invited Will to take a close look at different shades of melanistic leopards from photos on the web. He got back saying he'd taken a fresh look at more of those photos and he now feels his cat was most likely a melanistic leopard in its more brown colour phase. So of course that isn't conclusive, but it's good that Will feels he's resolved that a bit more. So, on to our words of the week. Well, we've been discussing big cats stalking and pursuing deer. And a key question is, are the deer in parts of Britain, where we have big cats reported, naive to a big predator, or are they alert to the presence of big cats? And if so, does this influence them in any way? This introduces the term from ecology, which is landscape of fear. And it's also sometimes called the ecology of fear. It relates to the state of prey animals when they are on edge because of the influence of a predator on their movements. So this influence could be the effects of the times of day when the prey species are feeding, so maybe feeding more in the daytime rather than nighttime than they would do otherwise, and the way that they feed, such as how and where the deer browse. It can be the case that predators like large carnivores, like wolves and large cats, for instance, prevent deer doing concentrated browsing and grazing of certain areas, and this can allow natural woodlands to regenerate more. And it is generally established from many examples that large predators help create more diverse ecosystems in this way, because of this landscape of fear that they generate. So it's not just a predator's direct culling of the prey, such as culling of deer, that can make for a more healthy ecosystem, but the resulting eating effects and more dispersed browsing of the prey species like deer, and that can all benefit a habitat. So is this landscape of fear influence on habitats underway in Britain? 
Maybe we've had some examples in this edition. On the website, we've put a video reference from Washington State in northwest United States discussing the landscape of fear effects of wolves on deer. And that video shows the way that's actually being monitored with radio collared deer. Now, as I record this, in the previous week in early March, three of our previous podcast guests have had repeat big cat sightings, and they have kindly sent emails for me to read out. So here are their messages. First up was John and Simon from Epping Forest, immediately north of London. John was on episode 43, our Cockney Cats edition, and Simon was on episode 53 with his follow-up report from Epping Forest area. They were both out dog walking in part of Epping Forest, and Simon sent us this email about the incident. And just to alert you to the fact that there is a bleep word coming up. So Simon's email reads as follows. John joined me for my usual walk with my dogs last Tuesday, 8th of March, at about 8.30pm. John has recently bought a new thermal spotter and wanted to have a play. As we walked along my usual path, I said to John I just wanted to check for cows so the dogs would not run through the field disturbing them. I noticed an eye shine to our right after seeing there were no cows. I pointed this out to John who was flicking through the functions of his new toy. I then realised that the head and neck was much thicker than on a muntjac deer. John passed me the spotter and I said, I don't think that's a deer, when my dogs took off running off to our right. This is when my male dog barked and then the animal got up and John exclaimed, it's a bloody cat, it's got a massive tail. He didn't have the record function on as he was still sussing out the camera and the last thing he was expecting to view was our prized target animal. My female dog ran towards the cat and then the cat disappeared into the forest. I've walked that path two or three times per week for 20 years. How many times might I have seen this and thought it was a deer? So great stuff, Simon and John. Thanks for that and maybe we'll hear more from you again soon. And it just shows how close these cats might be to us in their own realm with us largely unaware of their lives. I've also heard from Janet in Northwest Ireland. She was our guest on episode 48 with her encounters from County Letrim. Here's her email from 11th of March. Hi there, Rick. Had to go to a meeting this afternoon. Set off on usual route, then decided to take a detour. I was running late and cursed myself for taking the detour, as I had a friend in the car too. It was very quiet alongside the loch, but then who strolls out across the road? You guessed it. I watched it crossing the road not more than 20 feet in front of me. My friend was looking the other way. I just managed to get my words out to tell her and then she saw it too disappearing into the fields via a gap next to a gate. It was smaller than the first sighting I had. I had a really good view of it next to a wooden gate this time. I would say it was shoulder height to the second bottom rung. It was black and looking in fantastic condition tail curled up and fluffed up. It's eight degrees damp here at the moment. I think it was a young cat, possibly last year's cub, finding a mate. I cannot believe it. I'm so glad my friend witnessed it too, even if very briefly. They're breeding and surviving here. Wow, just wow. I've just looked at Google Maps and it's roughly 14 miles as the crow flies from the first incident. I couldn't stop as my meeting was very important and been delayed for ages. I couldn't believe it. I will go back this weekend and look for tracks, etc. Thanks for that one too, Janet. So good to hear from you again. 
If you've not heard her interview, it is episode 48, all about her experiences in County Letrim. Finally, for our next episode, our guest will brief us on his sightings and experiences of the Exmoor Beast in the early 1980s. And his incidents happened before the main press attention in the Exmoor area, so these will be new reports we can hear about from that time. He also mentions a few things from Herefordshire, where he's now based, because big cats are still on his radar. So it's Exmoor and Herefordshire coming up next. Time to sign off now, so thanks again to our guests Amanda and to Will, and also thanks to Annie for helping to arrange these guests for us. Please look after yourselves, everyone. It's a grim old world out there at the moment, with COVID levels still restricting us and such sad scenes coming through from Ukraine. Let's keep our spirits up, so onwards and upwards. As always, thanks for listening and bye for now.